Welcome back to After the Buzz of Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. All right, guys, welcome back for another episode. In today's episode, I'm going to be joined by Thomas from Mr. Sideline. Uh, don't worry, we are not. Uh, he's over on a phone call. Don't worry, we're self-quarantining, we're social distancing. It might cut out a little bit, but this is the best we can do. Um, and we're going to see how this goes. Uh, first topic we're going to discuss is the New Orleans Saints. We want to talk about the Saints because they keep blowing all these opportunities. Thomas, you good? Yeah, I'm great. All right. Uh, he's just cutting out a little bit. All right. And first, uh, as I said, the Saints. We want to talk about their future. And because they keep blowing all these opportunities, we want to talk about it. What is in store for them? Will they ever get a Super Bowl wing, uh, wing, ring with Drew Brees at quarterback? Second off, we want to talk about the Denver Nuggets, their depth. What should they do with their depth going forward? Uh, I'm not sure what Thomas's view is on it. I don't think he knows what mine, but we're going to probably end up debating on that topic like we debate on everything. And then third off, we want to talk about every single MBT. NBA team, we're going to go down the line and talk about the player that impressed us the most. Not necessarily the best player, but the player that seemed like took a lot of strides or just impressed us in general. Uh, We might have a slightly different criteria, but I'm sure we'll have a lot of different picks that we're going to discuss. So first, we're going to get to the New Orleans Saints, so let's get to that. All right, New Orleans Saints. Last season, yeah, another blown opportunity. Drew Brees, what, 41 years old now? And... You had, yes, you had uh, the non-pass interference call against the Rams. They kind of got gypped there. But this season, against the Minnesota Vikings, they lose in the first round. They were my Super Bowl pick. This team has just so much talent. They added Emmanuel Sanders. They added um, uh, Malcolm Jenkins. It seems like this team has unlimited cap space, unlimited talent, yet they still can't get the job done in the playoffs. Thomas, what do you think? What is your kind of like opening statement or thoughts on this? All right, so if are we talking about where do I think they should go, like with your Brees, and just considering everything else going forward? Yeah, anything, anything. Like you just your thoughts, like what should they do going forward? What are they going to do? Just all right. Well, let me start off just with a bang. They will not win another Super Bowl as long as Drew Brees is the starting quarterback. Agreed. I said it. It had to be said. How old is Drew Brees now? Forty-one, 40? I believe. Forty or forty-one. 41. And last season, you know, he just he had a solid season. Um, he had just under 3,000 passing yards and 27 touchdowns. Keep in mind, though, he had less than 400 attempts. Um, I, I, that doesn't seem like a lot to me. Uh, and then, you know, Michael Thomas obviously had this ridiculous season, 149 yards, uh, 149 catches, excuse mm-hmm. me, uh, over 1,700 yards, uh, nine touchdowns. He was obviously absurd. But one thing that really, really stood out to me was the, it just didn't seem like Alvin Kamara was really the same. You know, mm-hmm. I considered him to be a top tier running back. I mean, in our fantasy league, he was picked, what, third overall? Uh, second, actually, I think. Second or third, either one. But anyway, top three pick. Either way, second or third. Only 797 rushing yards. And I get it, you know, 
sometimes he's not really used as like a heavy rusher who's going to get you over, you know, 1,200 yards. Because he's also very active in the passing game. You know, he has 533 yards, 81 catches. But it just seemed like a little bit of a down season to me. I think they possibly need to use him a little more. I really think they need to get Taysom Hill involved more in their offense. And I know that's just what everyone likes to say. But it's true. Everyone says it for a reason. I mean, the guy is talented. He can play multiple positions. He can really do anything you want. He could probably go out there and kick field goals for you if you need him to. But he's super talented, and the Saints need to get him more involved with their offense. The problem is, it's just there's a lot of aging players, like on the roster. Great. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like an older roster. Jared Cook, he's up there. Emmanuel Sanders, he's. I think he's coming up on 30 years old. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of older guys. And then defensively, um, again, a lot of older guys. You know, Cam Johnson's getting older. Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore's obviously pretty young. But it's just, there's not a lot of youth on this team. Nope. And obviously, there there's some very talented ones in Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. But I'm just saying, the Drew Brees window is closing. How long are they going to be able to get to contend with Drew Brees as their starting quarterback. This was arguably the worst season of Drew Brees' career last year. I get it. You know, uh, he had a 74% completion rate. Um, but, but like, like I use this for an example when quarterbacks do that, like, check downs. Like, you see Derek Carr, not last season, but the season before that, people were raving about his completion percentage. To me, this, this is why I don't go – this is why between the – quote-unquote eye tests and the and statistics I like a mix of both because we look at Derek Carr like his completion percentage was great and all but all he did was check the ball down he was scared to take shots down the field I remember uh this is like my Madden player I used to have like an 80 percent completion percentage because I just do these like four yard check downs and it would work every time like it's the same thing with Derek Carr Drew Brees I'd say took more risks but still I mean, he, yeah, he found the right options. He didn't throw, make a lot of turnovers, but. He couldn't even throw for 3,000 passing yards, I mean. Yeah, exactly. So, Drew Brees, yeah, he did have one of the worst seasons of his career. The the window is closing. I mean, he's only probably got a year or two left, you know, with the New Orleans Saints before he retires. And in this next year or two, despite all their talent, they've proven time and time again, no matter how good they are, they, they'll go 13-3 and three and have arguably the most talented roster. I think they have the most talented roster in the NFL right now, yet still they're going to choke in the playoffs because they've done it time and time again. Yes, against the Rams, they probably should have won that game and the refs did screw them over. But still, they were unable to bounce back the next year. Years prior to that, they, were, they just blew it. They blow it time and time again. I can't put any more trust in the New Orleans Saints. And just another thing, you know, Drew Brees, while he is 41, last year he had a he had a relatively big injury. I mean, he missed five games. I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a lot. And he's 41 years old. You know, he's a bit of a smaller guy. It's just the, the window of opportunity with Drew Brees is closing. So how long are you going to be able to contend with Drew Brees? And then after that, what's the next step that you take? Do you make Taysom Hill the next is he going to be your next franchise quarterback? I don't like that, personally. That? I don't like that. Taysom Hill, the, Taysom Hill's a great, like, 
utility Swiss Army knife type guy. Like he can come in and throw a couple passes. He can run the ball. He can come in as a tight end. He can be a special, great special teams guy. More just trick plays slash special teams. Taysom Hill, I know he wants to be a franchise quarterback, and but I and I get it. He's only thrown about twelve passes or thir- I think the number is thirteen passes in his career. Uh, and he's completed six of them along with an interception or something like that. Like, it's not very good, and he hasn't really got the reps. Who knows? Maybe we're all wrong. But all I know is if in two years the Saints are sitting here with Taysom Hill as their franchise quarterback or their quarterback going into that year, they are not in a good spot. I don't think Taysom Hill can be a franchise quarterback. That is just not – that's not good news for uh, Saints fans. Neither can I. And I do think that Taysom Hill, like I said, like you said, eventually with the reps, he's going to get better. But just because someone gets better with more reps does not make them a franchise quarterback. No. You know, obviously playing with Drew Brees is going to significantly help his development and just how he is as a player. You know, he's going to get to learn from a guy like Brees. That's not going to make him a franchise quarterback. And if it does, great. Then you have him. But that's, it's too much. There's a lot of questions. You can't just bank on the fact that, oh, let's hope Taysom Hill's good, and let, let's just hope that he works out, because if he doesn't, then, then what's the next step from there? So, what, can I circle back to a statement you made, uh, and you're, you weren't wrong, like, it was just a, it was just the statistic you brought up, which was the fact that he had under 400 passing attempts. He had a, sm- a low number of passing attempts, right? And... Uh, when you said he had a low number of passing attempts, I just want to circle back, not last season, but the season before that, they Drew Brees threw the ball so many times, it was like they were relying on Drew Brees' arm when he was 28 years old, 27 years old. And what happened was Drew Brees, after about week 10, week 11, his arm started getting worse and worse. He started turning the ball over more and more. His spiral wasn't as tight. His accuracy was a little off. So now all of a sudden... The Saints realized that and said, you know what? We can't have him throw the ball as much. We have to rely on our run game more. They got rid of uh, Mark Ingram because they really couldn't afford him anymore. And now it's up to Alvin Kamara. They're saying, listen, you're going to have to touch the ball a lot. Mark Ingram isn't here anymore. We can't rely on Drew Brees to take really over 25, 26 passing attempts because his arm just really won't allow him to. You're going to need to run the ball well. Alvin Kamara sucked last year. He was terrible. So I just look at that, and I just have to say that's a little bit scary, the fact that once they had to start relying on uh, Kamara full-time to take a lot of touches, he kind of vanished. I wouldn't say he was terrible. Uh, He underperformed big time. Yeah, he definitely underperformed. He didn't get touchdowns, but he did get a lot of yards. I'll give him that, but he did not play very well last year. The thing is, though, he only had 171 attempts. As the lead back of your team, he had only 25 more attempts than the next guy. And I know the Saints, you know, like I said, you, like you said, they've had Mark Ingram in the past, and they uh-huh. like to do that. They like to do the double, yeah. But Alvin Kamara is clearly better than Latavius yeah. Murray. Yes. And he had 4.7 yards per carry. That's really good efficiency. On top of that, 81 catches for 533 yards. Mm-hmm. I get it. He didn't have the touchdowns he liked. But we just have to think, Alvin Kamara, one of the reasons that we we personally thought he had such a bad season was the touchdown. This season, he only had six touchdowns. But the year before, he had how many touchdowns did he have? He had oh, he was in the double digits. He had 18 total touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So I think we were just so overwhelmed 
by how good Alex yeah, Ball fair. was that season. That this season, when you know he's still having a decent year, but we consider it as a major underperformance because of what we expected from him. Uh-huh. I just think our expectations were a little high. I don't think the Saints are nearly giving it giving him the rock as much as they should be. I think if they gave him 250 attempts, we'd be seeing Alvin Kamara, you know, as a guy who maybe gets a thousand two hundred yards, maybe mm-hmm. he has like 12 touchdowns and then maybe a little less active in the passing game sure but maybe that means Alvin Kamara is better and maybe that that means his team is better that's I I do think that was a bit of it the fact that we were overwhelmed by the performance that he had and I think we just set the bar way too high and I will say at the same time Alvin Kamara did underperform last year but I do get what you're saying so I'm on the same I think we're on the same page on this one they will not win a uh uh, they will not win a Super Bowl in the Drew Brees era, whether that's only a year or two left. It's not going to be many years. And then after that, they're kind of screwed because they don't have a franchise quarterback. They've got an aging roster, and they're not going to have much cap space. So they're kind of a crumbling tower right now. And ex- and other than that, I mean, a guy like Michael Thomas, you know, not afraid to say his mind, not afraid to, you know, speak out. We could potentially see a requested trade from him, and the guy and the guy's talented as Thomas is could really reel in something, or it could reel in nothing. Look what DeAndre Hopkins got traded. For. Yeah, I I'm know. not saying to the Texans, of course, and they're going to do that. I think they're smarter. Like <laughs> I think they're smarter than that. Hopefully, but hopefully. All right, so I think we touched up on this topic enough. So now we're going to get to our next topic, the Denver Nuggets. So let's get to that. All right, so now we want to discuss, I think I've touched up on this a little bit, but it was a while ago, the Denver Nuggets and their bench depth, because we all know how deep the Denver Nuggets roster is. I mean, they really, I mean, they could run like a 13-man rotation. Like, it is ridiculous. And it, it, it pays dividends, like when injuries occur or in the playoffs, if somebody's a little tired or a little off, they have somebody that can just step up out of nowhere. So... Thomas, I'll let you start first. You're the guest. Like, what are your opening thoughts? What do you think they should do moving forward with their depth? Do you like the approach of a really deep team, or do you think they're too deep to the point where it's hurting some of their development and they should trade some of these guys for maybe a second star? Having a very good, deep, young roster only works for a certain amount of time. Like, there is right now, like, right at this current day and age, it's okay, I guess. Because the Nuggets are still young. They're still trying to figure things out. They're still trying to gain playoff experience. But there is going to come a point where the Nuggets are going to have to realize, hey, we ever want to compete, we need more star power to compete. Because, you know, what if they don't match up well with teams like the Clippers and the Lakers, who have exactly. a dominant duo surrounded by, you know, really, other really good talents. I mean, let's look at the Clippers, a dominant duo in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Outside of those guys, they have Montrezl Harrell, they have Lou Williams, they have Marcus Morris. Like, it's fine to be deep, but you also have to be able to match up with the top tier teams if you want to be considered a championship contender. The Nuggets, what do I think they should do? I think they should trade for a guy like a Drew Holiday, a great defender, a great scorer, a great playmaker. At his best, Drew Holiday is a arguably a top 20 player in the NBA. I mean... This year, he put up around 20.7 assists and 5 rebounds, shot 45% from the field and 36% from three, while playing absolutely walking up on Mm -hmm. defense. 
I don't think I can't really think of a guy that would better fit this roster. And then the Denver Nuggets, he's got playoff experience. I mean, last year, not last year, two years ago, when New Orleans Pelicans swept the Portland Trailblazers, he was a huge reason Mm -hmm. because he locked up Damian Lillard. He shut him down, and Damian Lillard basically became a non-factor because of Drew Holiday's defense. Another guy that really stands out, obviously, it's going to take a little more to get him, but Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is an all-world talent. He's averaging 30 points per game this season. Wasn't even an all-star. Wasn't even an all-star. Averaged 36-4, 45% from Beal, 35% from three. He absolutely carried this roster. He would fit so well. Because one of the problems with Bradley Beal is that he's a great scorer, he's a great player. But one of the things that just drives me crazy, and I'm not saying it's necessarily his fault, is his defensive effort. He carries so, this year, he carried so much of a load offensively that his defense just went eep, and just went all the way down the drain. But with a team like the Denver Nuggets, where they have actual help around him, he's not going to have to take on um, much of an offensive role. Exactly, and And he'll get to play more defense. Exactly. When he's locked in on defense, he's actually pretty good. I'm not saying he's going to make an all-defensive team or anything, but he's really solid on that side of the ball. But he just can't be the number one on a terrible team. He's just going to put up big offensive numbers and then going to lead you to be a terrible defensive team. He's your leader. So, here's my thing. I'm I'm on the same page as you. Where the team, I've said this since last offseason, since they fell uh, to the Portland Trailblazers in seven games. Don't get me wrong, they were a little better last playoffs than I thought, and I think they're going to continue to go up because they're gaining more of this playoff experience. Like, I don't necessarily blame the Denver Nuggets for not making a move last offseason on a guy like Bradley Beal because they're still trying to figure everything out a little bit, and they did. At the trade deadline, they traded Malik Beasley. This is a guy I keep bringing up as a a prime example of why this team is too deep. Because, one, first of all, they're not going to win a championship because they don't have enough star power. And, two, Malik Beasley last season, he was playing, I think, 23 minutes a game. He was scoring about 11, 12 points per game. I don't remember the exact statistics. But, anyway, he was playing about 23 minutes a game last season. You want to take a guess how many he played this season before he got traded? What, like 20? 12. 12. Malik Beasley was 22 years old, a a player that was improving night in and night out. He kept on, as the season went on, he was improving 21 minutes a game. You would think with him continuing to uh, improve, even over the offseason, he would come into the season getting even more minutes. But the team was so deep that they had to kind of push him to the side and give him less minutes. And that that's the worst thing you can do with these young players because their morale goes down, they're getting less touches, and they had to move Malik Beasley because they sat there and said, he's a great young player. The Timberwolves were one of those teams that realized that, and they said, you know what, we're not utilizing him to his maximum potential here, so let's ship him out. And the Timberwolves knew what his potential was, and once he went to Minnesota, he started getting more minutes and playing even better. So that is just a prime example. So they unloaded on a little bit of it, but really, this offseason, I think it's time for them to make a move. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19, we're not going to get to see them play out the rest of the season. Potentially, we won't get to see them play in the playoffs and try to figure things out a little more, because I do think this 
uh, front office and this team needs a little more time before they're certain on who's staying and who's going. But whether it's Drew Holiday, I would like to see them do Drew Holiday because Drew Holiday would come at a cheaper price. And I think he'd, I, I think Bradley Beal's a better player, but I think Drew Holiday would come at a cheaper price and I think he'd be a little bit better of a fit. They both be great fits, but I think Drew Holiday would be a little better, and he's a little cheaper. So I'd like to see them make a move on him. Either one, Bradley Beal, Drew Holiday would be fine. Please just don't have it be Kevin Love, though. But they need to unload on some of that bench depth because it's just going to fester there, and they're not going to be able to give those young guys the minutes that they need and the touches that they need to reach their maximum potential. And then they're just going to go to waste. You're never going to get the star power because you can be as deep as you want. But at the end of the day... In this decade, this era of basketball, you need a certain amount of star power to um, compete for an NBA championship. This team just doesn't have it. The NBA is a star's league. It always has been, and it always will be. Another thing that I just want to throw out there, if you are going to move your depth for a guy like a Bradley Beal or a Drew Holiday, that's great. If you give up Michael Porter Jr. in the process, that is absolutely terrible. When this guy gets the proper minute, and he's going to be incredible. He's been a stud. He's been an absolute stud. He's started one game this season. He started one game the entire season. Now, I'm going to go and find how good he was in that one game that he started this season. The one game that he started this season, he put up 19 points on 8 of 10 shooting. 80%. 19 points. On 8 of 10 shooting. Crazy. When he got a couple nights later, he got 23 minutes. The, start, the night he started, he got 26. But a couple nights later, he had 23 minutes. He had 25 points and shot 11 of 12. He's incredible. He really is. And the thing with Michael Porter Jr., the only reason I'm not as big of a fan of him, like, I think his potential is off the charts. Like, it is insane. My one problem with him, though, that scares me is the injuries. Like, if the Denver Nuggets, like, eventually, Michael Porter Jr. is going to have some all-star seasons. My thing is, though, with the injuries, I think it's just going to have to be one of those things. The Nuggets have to keep him at all costs, I think, because if Michael Porter Jr., there's going to be at least one season in here where the Denver Nuggets have such a bright future. Michael Porter Jr. is going to have one season where he doesn't get hurt and he balls out, like, has... Probably he's going to have, I think, one MVP caliber season, at least, where he's able to play the whole season and put up, like, 25, 26 a night. Like, he's going to be incredible. So when that season comes, or maybe that's a couple seasons that he gets of that, like, really prime non-injury years, that's going to be within the uh, Nuggets championship window. And if he's part of that, the Nuggets odds go up so much and... I, I'm I'm with you. They have to keep him at all costs. He's that one young piece besides Nicole Jokic, obviously, that they and Jamal Murray that they have to keep at all costs. Uh, funny that you mentioned Jamal Murray. I'm just gonna bring out another bold take. Um, if you're looking to trade for a star, they should. Uh, I'm trying to put this into words exactly, but I think that they should be more willing to let go of Jamal Murray than Michael Porter Jr. That's not a slight to Jamal Murray. It's not that, you know, he's not a good player. And here's the thing. I'm not a Jamal Murray fan. Even though he showed up in the playoffs last year, he's a great shooter. I'm not a big fan of his. And I'll even say that's one that I've got to think about because – 
there's a lot more of a risk with Michael Porter Jr. Like, the potential with Michael Porter Jr. is higher, but you know what you're getting from Jamal Murray. Like, Jamal Murray is a top, you know, 40 to... He's somewhere between the 40th to 50th best player in the NBA. He's going to give you 20 a night. He's going to shoot lights out. So that's one of those things that's like... Do the Nuggets go the riskier road? Go with Michael Porter Jr., somebody who could have a few MVP seasons, but could also just end up being this injury-prone bust? Or they go with somebody like Jamal Murray, who they knew is going to be like a fringe all-star for a handful of seasons? I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't had a major injury in two seasons. That's true, but he hasn't really played a lot either. They don't give him a lot of minutes. That's true, that's true. But he has shown up in 40, 48 games this year. And there was a decent stretch where they were giving him good minutes. I mean, let's look at a stretch from January 12th to uh, just the end of January, actually. It was 19 minutes, 28 minutes, 29, 23, 30, 24, 25, 22, 22, okay. 25. And in this, he had over 15 points about six times. And he had over 10 points about, like, 10 times from what I'm looking at. And that was only in a stretch of, like, you know, not a lot of games. Not to mention that, you know, he had a couple of really good rebounding games. He put eight rebounds, 10, 8, 14, 10, 9, 4, 12, 11. When he gets those big minutes, he's an efficient scorer. He can shoot the basketball. And he's actually rebounding. Like, he's not just one of those guys who just can score. He's a pretty darn good rebounder, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's my thing, like, I see where you're coming from, and I do agree. I think MPJ is going to be, like, a stud. But I want one more season of – I just don't think we've seen enough. Like, am I ready? Like, Jamal Murray, yeah, it's a safer bet. And I'm not saying I'm necessarily disagreeing with you. It's just, like, with Michael Porter Jr., we've seen him get these major injuries before. He hasn't, yeah, he's got about, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 22, but if he's going to be a star in this league, he's going to be receiving, uh, you know, he's going to be starting every game for 82 games or close to it, you know, might low management here or there, but you got what I'm saying on nights where he gets 34 minutes, 35, 33, 36, some 38, 39, pushing 40, you know? So I want to see you know, at least a half a season of uh, Michael Porter Jr. getting 30-plus minutes in a starting role in some clutch situations. And I want to see him in a playoff series as well. You can't always judge uh, a player, you know, off one playoff series, but I want to see how he does kind of in those higher-pressure situations that we really haven't got to see him in. Uh, And if he plays relatively well in those scenarios, you know, I get to see him for that half season, get to see him in a playoff series – then I'm definitely jumping on the let's get rid of Jamal Murray and keep Michael Porter Jr. boat, even though he might get hurt here and there. Uh, but I just want to see a little more from Michael Porter Jr. before I totally jump ship. I just, I, I agree entirely with what you're saying. I just don't think it's fair to take that away from him because, the like you said, the Nuggets are so deep that they don't play guys like Michael Porter Jr. Like, I know yeah. this probably isn't the best source to use, but per 36 minutes, the guy puts up, uh, 20 points a game, 11 rebounds, shoot 50% from the field, and 43% from three. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to do that yeah. with 30 minutes tonight, but I'm just saying we can't really hold it against him that this team is so deep. Next year, I have, I have no, there, he, he will be a full-time starter. I have 
I can, and I when you say you can't take it away from him, this is exactly why I think the Nuggets need time. And this is why I also think the coronavirus canceling the season, like potentially, is really going to hurt the Denver Nuggets. Because I think the the Nuggets front office was really looking forward to making a move this offseason. Because I think they knew they were going to have to make one. And they wanted, you saw the reason they didn't make a move last offseason was because they wanted one more year to see what the young guys could do. They wanted to see, all right, how does Malik Beasley go from here? You know, can Jamal Murray keep this up? Really, a big question was with Michael Porter Jr. How are we going to utilize him? How is he going to play? Does he get hurt again? There were a lot of questions that needed to be answered. They wanted to see the Nuggets go to the playoffs one more time, see what they could do. And the fact that they might not get that opportunity really hurts them because I'm excited to see the Denver Nuggets make a big move. Just as a fan of basketball, I see like what the potential is there. Like if they make a blockbuster move and unload on some of this depth and uh, acquire a guy like Drew Holiday or Bradley Beal, that would be major. That would be amazing, and I'd love to see it. I agree completely. I've touched up on everything I want to say about that topic. Thomas? Oh, yeah, me too. Sorry. I, yeah. Yeah, oh. I, I thought. All right. All right, so now we're going to get to our last topic. We're going to run through the 30 NBA teams. Which player from each roster has impressed us the most? So let's get to that. All right, so now we are going to basically, by alphabetical order, uh, with the NBA teams, we are going to run down, starting with the Atlanta Hawks, because it's by alphabetical order, and... I'm going to give my opinion on who has impressed me the most from the Atlanta Hawks. Like, Trey Young's obviously been their best player, but who has impressed me the most? Not necessarily their, like, team MVP per se, and then Thomas will give his opinion. All right, so first, when it comes to the Atlanta Hawks, oof, this is a tough one, but personally, I'm just going to have to go with their best player here, Trey Young. After his rookie season, a lot of people are still a little skeptical, like, it, you know, is this just like one good season? Can he continue? And he did. He scored nearly 30 points per game on 35 minutes. He played every single night. Uh, he had nearly 10, uh, 10 assists a game. He proved to me he's a phenomenal passer and scorer. He became more efficient this season. There's not a lot of people that really impressed me either on the Atlanta Hawks. So I'm just going to have to go with Trey Young here. Uh, I'm also going to go with Trey Young. This this. Yeah, I don't think it's a theme uh, that every single time I'm going to be chasing the best player. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I got to go with a guy like Trey Young on this one. I mean, he's top five in points per game and assists per game. I really don't know how you can say oh, yeah. that this guy's going to be a future NBA superstar. I mean, he he can score. He can shoot. He can pass. Um, he's even not a terrible rebounder for his size. I mean, the guy can just do everything except, except of course, defend. But the Atlanta Hawks, are, you know, a top-notch team, which they should be pretty soon if he gets the help. Yep. And guys like Tom Collins and Reddish and DeAndre Hunter continue to develop. Don't be surprised if you hear Trey Young's name at MVP's conversations because he's just that. Mm-hmm. He's oh, that. yeah, he's, he's – ball- like – I'm impressed. Like I didn't, I didn't think even his ceiling was really that. I knew he had a high ceiling, but geez. All right, so now moving on to the Boston Celtics. I'm going to have to go with Daniel Tice here. Uh, you know, he only gave you 9.3 um, 
points per game, but it's not necessarily his offensive production. It was his defensive production. He averaged 1.3 blocks per game and 0.6 steals. That's about two turnovers a game he was forcing. That's not necessarily turnovers, but you know what I mean. Daniel Tice, this is a Celtics team that came into the season. Their biggest thing was, do they have any interior defense? The answer was kind of no, but Daniel Tice stepped up in a big way. Again, offensively, he wasn't really that phenomenal, but his defense was huge for this team. And I'm kind of, this is almost a little bit of a shout out, like thank you to Daniel Tice, because if it weren't for him, we would have had nobody to protect the rim for us. So Daniel Tice definitely impressed me a lot this season uh, for the way that he really just stepped up big time on defense. So I kind of, I asked, I have a main one, but I just got to give a shout-out to Gordon Hayward because Gordon Hayward's definitely an honorable mention. Yes, before he got hurt. Before he got hurt. Yeah. After last season, the lowest of lows for him. I mean, he averaged like 10 points per game. Mm -hmm. He just wasn't looking good for Gordon Hayward. He really turned it around. I'm happy for the guy, but I got to go with Jason Tatum. I have been one of Jason Tatum's biggest critics, and that's why he's here. Mm -hmm. He is really me wrong. I didn't think he was ever going to be a bad player, but I thought he was extremely, extremely overrated. I thought I didn't think that he um, would be able to be like that guy. Um, I also thought he'd be a multiple time all-star, but I just, I didn't believe all the hype around him. And this season, he's really just taken this game to another level, and he's, he's just been absolutely ridiculous. I I had, to, I had to give it to him. Yep. Uh, now on to the Brooklyn Nets. Personally, for me, no one really impressed me that, like, much. Uh, I want, I'd say my three candidates would be Torian Prince, Karis LeVert, and Spencer Dinwiddie would have to be my three. You know, you look at Dinwiddie. I've always been, uh, like, a big Dinwiddie fan. Uh, now that they have Kyrie Irving and they've got Karis LeVert, I want to see Dinwiddie go somewhere else. It'd be, like, a full-time starting point guard and be able to just ball out because this guy can give you at least 20 a night and he's continuing to prove Karis LeVert he didn't play a lot this season but we saw the injury he had before like the fact that he's been able to bounce back he got the big uh contract and although he didn't play a lot of games when he did play he can continue to ball out as a scorer and Torian Prince I mean he just kind of quietly has done a very good job for this team this season but no one really impressed me that much on the Brooklyn Nets, to be completely honest with you. Torian Prince? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. The guy who shot less than 38% from the field and less than 34% from three? Yep, his defense. I guess, but, man, he just had a... And just from what I saw in his... Oh, no, his offense uh, didn't impress me at all. He, he was the third candidate. It was either Dinwiddie okay, or LeVert. He was the third candidate for his defense. His offense was not good this year. Oh, I know that. Like, Torian Prince's offense in Atlanta was better. But I, I personally, from what I saw, I doubt you were really paying attention to Torian Prince's defense. But I watched a video. His defense improved. It stepped up this year. That's why he's my third okay. candidate. All right, I'll give you that. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with... Some people might go with Karis LeVert here, and I'm going to go with Dinwiddie because, I mean, Dinwiddie 
we, like you said, Aiden, you know, I want to see what he was like as a full-time starter. He basically was a full-time starter this year. He started 49 games out of 64, and he averaged 21 points per game, 7 assists, 3 rebounds. Obviously, his field goal percentage and three-point percentage was a bit down. I think that was just due to the larger role that he had to take. I think eventually, if he got used to being a top option on a team, I think his efficiency would go drastically up. I think he'd yep. be better on the defensive side of the ball. And he's already okay on that side. Not great, not good, uh, but he's okay. Uh, but he really impressed me with how he handled all of this. You know, adding Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to your team, two very good NBA players. But the personalities are just very, very, yeah. you know, interesting, different, whatever you want to call it. They're two different dynamics that are just being throw, thrust into your team. Uh, and I thought Spencer Dinwiddie handled it with class. I've always loved um, Dinwiddie for a while. I thought he had a really, really good season. And I just yeah. think um, that he needs to be traded personally. Agreed. Uh, now on to the Charlotte Hornets. You know, P.J. Washington had a very good rookie season. Terry Rozier... He had a lot of critics, and I think he stepped up pretty well. But is there a question on this one? Devontae Graham has to be the pick here. He led the team in points per game and assists per game. He took by far the biggest strides on the team. 18.2 points per game, 7.5 assists. I didn't see that coming. Either of those stats, really. I always liked Devontae Graham, but I always liked him as like, yeah, he'll be a decent bench point guard. He came out of nowhere. He came out of left field and started playing great. I think if the Charlotte Hornets could go back and um, not give Terry Rozier that contract, I think they would. I know Terry Rozier's been playing great, but now that they know, wait, Devontae Graham can do this. I wish we just saved our $21 million that we paid Terry Rozier because we have our starting point guard here, and they're already running low on cap space, so... You know what I'm saying. But keep that out of the um, conversation. Devontae Graham is easily my pick. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you on here. He's had 17 double-doubles this season. Uh, his ability to shoot threes is just, you know, ridiculous. He obviously shoots a ridiculous ton of game. Uh, he actually shoots 9.3 a game and still shoots 37% from three, which is very, very good for such a high-volume shooter like Graham. Obviously, his field goal percentage is going to be a bit down because of the amount of threes that he's shooting and the percentage of his shots that are three-pointers. So that takes his field goal percentage down. But like, like Aiden said, there really wasn't a question for this one. I'd like to go um, with a couple of lower guys here, but just so far, it's been yeah. uh, some of the best on their team like every time so far. Mm-hmm. Now on to the Chicago Bulls. I'm going to shout out two people here. First guy is the best player on the team, Zach Levine. He's averaging over 25 points per game, uh, and he's just been balling out. Like He gets better and better every year. His defense this year was improved, and this is all with a team around him that was crumbling. Like Pretty much the whole roster got worse. His head coach is terrible. He has a head coach that doesn't believe in him, a bad team around him, and he is still working hard and balling up. He, he's the best player on the team easily. He continues to improve. Night in and night out. I love Zach Levine. And my second guy would have to be Kobe White. 65 games played in his rookie year. He only started one of them, but in a little over 25 minutes a game, he was able to score 13 points. So about for every two minutes he played, he got a point. That's pretty decent production for a rookie point guard on a team filled up with guards. Like there are a ton of guards on this team. And 
I want to see his playmaking improve. He only had 2.7 assists. That's always been a kind of a problem. Outside of his scoring, he really didn't do much, but his scoring numbers were impressive, and they're impressive enough considering besides Zach Levine and Kobe White, none of the roster really impressed me that much. I'm going to throw a guy completely out of left field. I don't even know if you've heard of him, but I'm going to go with Shaq. Shaq Harrison. Yep. Guards for the Chicago Bulls. Only 11 minutes per game. You guys probably don't even know who he is, but I was watching, uh, I don't know why I was doing this, but I was watching some highlights um, on his game on March 6th versus Indiana. The guy was a beast. He had put up 25 points, four rebounds, four assists, nine of 14 from the field, five from six from three. In the little minutes that he's got, he's gotten 11.3 minutes per game. He's put up five points, an assist, two rebounds, and shot 47% from the field and 38% from three. I know those numbers don't exactly jump out of the But for the minutes he's getting, it's... I, I just, I really wanted to give it to him because he's had a pretty good season. He's obviously not getting a ton of minutes. I think with a, an increased role, we can see... Uh, just how good of a player he was. But I just wanted to give him a shout-out to him because I thought mm-hmm. he had a pretty good season. All right, now on to the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is another team with not a ton of candidates, really. Um, My pick, I want to give a, a shout-out to Tristan Thompson. 12 points and 10 rebounds a game, average a double-double. Uh, I thought he was on the decline. He's still, like, I'd like to see him next year go to a team like Toronto or Boston, like a contender and contribute there because his window is starting to close. And he can clearly, you know, put up like a little double-double. Uh, and then, but really, I'm going to go with Colin Sexton. He can, he, you know, like you, you didn't believe him in him at first. Last season, after you started really starting to doubt him, he really stepped up his game. And this year, he did again. He's another one kind of similar to Kobe White. I really want to see him improve his playmaking because the reason he's a two-guard is because he can't really full as, serve as a full-time point guard just yet because he doesn't. he's not a very good playmaking uh, playmaker. But he has continued to be great in transition. He's a great all-around efficient scorer, and he's a very hard-nosed defender on a team with a lot of lanky, not very good defenders. Let's just say that. Uh, one guy that I, I I love to say that I was, you know, pretty impressed with Colin Sexton because obviously I've been one of his biggest critics, um, and he's, he's just been an absolute assassin and a great young scorer. But I'm going to give a shout-out to a Cavs rookie. It is not Darius Garland, but it's instead Kevin Porter Jr. I knew you'd Kevin say Porter that. Jr. Yep. I, a lot of people coming in were like, oh, yeah, you know, this guy – you know, he's a knucklehead. He's not going to be anything good. Uh, and I kind of agreed with them. And when he was picked, like, what, 27th or something like that, yep. I was like, And he got traded three, two, three times. Yeah. yeah. But but this season, as a rookie, 10 points per game, uh, two assists, three rebounds, shot 44% from the field, 33% from three. You know, rookie guards in the NBA typically aren't efficient. But he shot a higher field goal percentage than fellow rookie Darius Garland. And, you know, a little bit lower three-point percentage than than Garland. Um, I'd like to see him get better defensively, and I'd like to see him become a better passer, because right now uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers have not one, not two, but three shoot-first guards who one of them averages more more than three assists. Per game right now, uh, so that's that's kind of a problem. 
Uh, I, so I would like to see him improve his passing and defense a little bit. But I think he's a, I think he's a, a sleeper. I think he could potentially be a really good scorer for this team. Now on to the Dallas Mavericks. This one, I'm going to have to go with their best player, Luka Doncic. Like, I look at, like, Seth Curry was a little better than I expected this year. You know, but no one really impressed me that much. I'm sure you'll pull a cat out of the hat and find somebody that impressed you at the bottom of their roster. But I was looking into it. I couldn't really find anybody. Firstly, for me, I got to go with Luka Doncic. He's putting up LeBron-like numbers. That's what he did this year. He took up a team that's not really that playoff caliber and put them in the playoffs. A pretty good seed as well uh, at, at the beginning, and then they eventually declined a little bit. But Luka Doncic put up an MVP type. Put up MVP type numbers. Did he put up an MVP type season? Debatably, but we all know it was down to it's. It's Giannis was the MVP this season. If not, I guess LeBron. But Luka Doncic put up twenty. Almost nearly 28, uh, 29 points per game, nine over nine rebounds and nearly nine assists. So if we're gonna do some rounding, that's a stat line of twenty nine nine and nine. That sounds exactly like a LeBron James stat line, and he is doing this at what twenty twenty one years old. So for me, Luka Doncic just continues to stun me, and I really don't think anyone else was really that impressive on Dallas's roster either. So I have to go with Luka Doncic. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Luka Doncic, it's just, you know, he has been, I'm going to, this is probably a little bit clickbaity, but Luka Doncic has been the best player on the best offensive team in NBA history in terms of offensive rating. Obviously, offensive rating doesn't really account for this, and obviously this team is the best offensive team of all time, um, but I just kind of wanted to say that to make it a little bit dramatic. But regardless, Luka Doncic, 29.99, I really don't know how anyone else on this roster can possibly be uh, even considered for this. Like, poor thing is, you could be like, well, he came back from injury. No, shut up. He really hasn't been back right this season. Or I could put him over a guy like Luka Doncic, who's 20 years old, putting up 29-9-9. One thing, one thing I'd like to see him get a little bit better at is his volume three-point shooting. If he's going to take a lot of threes, he's got to shoot better than 32%. Uh-huh. That kid's a stud. Denver Nuggets now. This is a team that for as deep as they are, I know I've said this for a lot of the teams, well, at least for the last few, I've had a little bit of trouble to really find somebody that like really popped out for me. But for this one, I, there's a lot of people who are kind of on the same level, but if I had to take make one pick here, uh, you know, I could go with MPJ because of the way he played when, you know, that that's a possibility. But I'm going to go with Jeremy Grant. Um, or Jeremiah, whatever you want to say. He was on your Denver Nuggets. They traded him for a first-round pick. You were mad about that trade. I thought it was a big win for the Denver Nuggets. He has played well this season. Uh, he didn't stun me or anything like that, but for the fact that he was able to come on to a new, such a deep team, and you know this was his new team, the team's already so deep, he could have been viewed as just another bench piece. But instead, he put up the four... Uh, I read that wrong. Fifth highest points per game on the team. He could have just been viewed again as just another bench piece, but instead he stepped up his game in the minutes he got. Uh, and eventually towards the end of the season, I don't know if you noticed this, but he started to get be put in a starter role. He started to play a little bit better once they realized, hey, this kid can really play in our system. So he fought his way at the beginning of the season 
into the and then he fought and he kept playing well and then eventually he found his way into the starting lineup. A guy I'm going to go with is actually his starter, and that is going to be Paul Millsap. I mean, the guy is like, what, 34 years old yep. now? Obviously, he's not on his athletic prime anymore. Um, but that doesn't excuse the fact that he has been ridiculously good this season. And the numbers won't pop out of the page, but 49% of the field, 44% from three on you mm-hmm. know a decent amount of attempts per game. 12 points, six rebounds. He's obviously not the star player that he was in the Atlanta Hawks. He's obviously not going to be an all-star. But he put up a slashing line of 49-44-83. That's really, really good uh, for a power forward like Millsap. And Jeremy Grant, I love you. I miss you. I wish we never traded you. But whatever. All good things have to come to an end. Um, shout out to him, too. He's also been great this season. But I just, I just got to go with Millsap because of how old he is and still how good he is. Detroit Pistons. I have two guys here that I really want to focus on. My honorable mention is Luke Kennard. I love Luke Kennard. He's 22. Uh, yes, he's 22 years old. Uh, he only played 25, uh, 28 games this season. He started 25 of them. He didn't play that much, but he continues his success from last season. He is a three-point dagger. 15.8 points per game on 40% from three. He shot 39.9, but 40%, same thing. Uh, but my pick for most impressive player has to be Christian Coronavirus Wood. 62 games played, 12 games started. Only in 21 minutes, he averaged 13 points per game and over six rebounds. Those numbers may not pop out, but for the fact that Christian Wood Barely made the starting roster, if you remember. I remember at the very beginning of this, before the season even started, I wrote an article on the Detroit Pistons, and I believe the 14th player I put on the roster, like there were two players that squeaked in. One of them was Christian Wood. This season, he elevated his play and played like their best bench player. I mean, am I wrong to say that? Unless unless you consider, uh, what's his face? Well, Reggie Jackson's not on the team anymore, but when at the season started, Reggie Jackson was the starter, but Derrick Rose was clearly the better um, point guard. When it comes to like their five best, like their best point guard, it was Derrick Rose. Best center was Andre Drummond. Best shooting guard was Luke Kennard, Blake Griffin, whatever you want to say. Christian Wood, all, he played on the bench most of the year. He's their best bench player. He went from almost being cut from the roster, almost being on the G League team, to stepping up is pretty much their best bench player. And that he just impressed me a lot this season. Yeah. Um, he is my answer too, but I do have to say, I want to give a quick shout out to Tony Snell because he did not miss a free throw this season. So I, I got to give him the credit for that. He didn't miss a free throw. That I didn't know that. I didn't know that stat. Yeah. How many did he shoot? Uh, so he had 0.5 game and he played about uh, 50. He played about 50 games. So he shot about 30, made about 30. Right. Um, That's not... Uh, that's bad. Yeah. Just a quick shout out. Um, but yeah, mine's got to be Christian Wood. Uh, on one of my writing posts, I put him as the most underrated power forward in the league, and I stand by that. 13.6 rebounds, only playing 21 minutes a night. Shoots 57% from the field, 39% from three. One game that I watched him, and I was like, man, this guy's actually pretty good. And that's how I discovered him. I was started looking more into his stats. 
was a game versus the Boston Celtics. Ironically enough, at the trade deadline, guess who tried to trade for him? The Boston Celtics. Yep. The guy's just a good basketball player. And I think as a power forward, I think the Celtics may have potentially tried to trade him to use him as a center. But I think really he's best suited as a power forward. He's got decent shooting ability. He's athletic. He can rebound. I like his potential, and he's going to be a really good NBA player for years to come. Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Sorry, that was a poor transition. But my pick here has to be the guy who is a rookie, and he balled out from day one and continued to all season, Eric Pascal. Yeah. Listen, I don't know if you can really pick anybody else here, uh, but Pascal, he played all 60 games. He only started 26 of them, so he played most of them from the bench. But Pascal started the season only really getting minutes because – at first, because everybody on the team was hurt. Steph Curry went down with injury. Everybody was hurt on that team. So they just said, hey, this Eric Pascal kid was probably starting to do good in practice. Probably, you know, his first game probably got like five minutes and did well or whatever. So they decided to start to give him more minutes. And when he got those minutes, you know, 14 minutes a game, he did really well. And they gradually gave him more and more to the point where he was averaging a little, uh, little under 28 minutes per game, scoring 14 points. Uh, really all that really impressed me from him was his scoring and efficiency. Uh, his defense, I, I don't know much about his defensive abilities. You can uh, chime in on that. His rebounding numbers didn't really impress me that much. Nothing like that. But the fact that he just stepped up like out of nowhere and was consistently uh, an off a good offensive player for them, 14 points per game, 28 and under 28 minutes, like that's good production from some rookie at a left field, you know what I'm saying? I know he's good at Villanova, but nobody expected him to do this in the pros. Yeah, I'm going to go with Eric Pastrial as well. He was fifth in the rookie of the year voting yep. when they did like the initial voting. Um, he's been really, really good this season. Like you said, you know, a lot of people just saw this as like, oh, Curry's down. It's just a bunch of G-leaguers. No wonder he's able to, you know, put up these points. But he's actually a pretty legitimate player. Uh, I see his ceiling as, Maybe something a little better than a Marcus Morris right now. I don't think he'll be too much better than that. He's got a similar build like that. Uh, or maybe a more offensive-minded Draymond Green. Obviously, he's not that good on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but he's still decent. But he's just been a really good rookie. I would like to see him improve his three-point percentage. He only shot 29% from three. Yep. Um, but he is a power for uh, mostly uh, uh, he plays on the block a lot. So Yeah, that's true. And he only took... He only took 2.2 attempts per night. But I would just like to see him improve that because in the current NBA, everyone has to be able to shoot. Yep. So, But yeah, other than that, I mean, he's had a really good season and it's been a pretty big season of disappointments for the Warriors. Yep. Houston Rockets, my... All right, I want to say, first of all, for some reason, my spidey senses are telling me, we talked about this player once, you're going to mention Isaiah Hartenstein. Something tells me about that, one. Even he's just tall. I don't. I forget if we talked about how they he they should give him more minutes because I remember you showed me some of his highlights and and whatnot. I also want to say Daniel House continuing to. I I love Daniel House. I don't love Daniel House, but I really do like him and I think he fits the system really well. I have got to go with former MVP Russell Westbrook. A lot of people are like, how is Russell Westbrook and James Harden going to coexist? Russell Westbrook came in here after being such a ball-dominant point guard. He still is, but came in here with the 
He's the second most ball dominant guard. He's playing now with the most ball dominant guard, and he's still a in their vice versa. I guess you could, um, whatever. You get my point. But he was able to come in here and ball out. Like I'd argue, this was debatably his greatest season of all time. I think his MVP season was, but personally, this is up there. This is at least this is easily top two, top three for me. Like twenty seven point five points per game. In this system, that is so impressive because people are wondering, can he coexist? I expected maybe 21, 22 points per game from him. Round that up, he had 20, you know, if you round up his scoring totals, that's 28 points per game, along with eight boards and seven assists. And not to mention, I think his defensive uh, abilities also went up as well because with James Harden, it actually kind of all worked out because... Not only was he still a maniac offensively, but with James Harden taking more shots, he was able to put more effort into defense. And it paid off 1.7 steals per game, uh, 0.3 blocks. And overall, just watching him play, it looked like he had more energy to actually try on defense. Yeah, as much as I, you know, as Russell Westbrook has really, really been good this season, I seem to be the only one who is, like, not impressed. Like, oh, my goodness, Russell Westbrook's been so good. That's just who Russell Westbrook is, and no one seems to yes, care. Yes, but, but here's the thing. Season. In OKC, he could just take every single shot. Now he's playing in a place where nobody thought he could coexist with James Harden. This is a system that people thought, yeah, his scoring, every his number's going to go down. His number's didn't go down by any means. They stayed at an, you know, at the same similar stats, not rebounds and assist wise, but scoring wise, similar statistics that he had in his MVP season. Like he was putting up such a high points per game. Like nobody expected him to score this many points per game coexisting with James Harden. I think it's not impressive. His statistics aren't impressive for Russell Westbrook. It's impressive. If this makes any sense, it's impressive considering who he's playing with the team he's playing on and the players that are on it, if that makes any sense. You know, I, I, de- I definitely hear you. I hear what you're saying. Um, a couple of things I have is that, one, again, this is just who Russ Westbrook is. He just put up, puts up great stats. Yeah, he's had ultimate freedom in OKC, but he's still an NBA superstar. So I'm going to go with uh, my man Ben Mappelmore. Uh, the guy was out of the NBA. And the Houston Rockets gave him a second chance, and he came back and he started balling. His stats went down a little bit um, to just under 10 points per game. There was a time where he was averaging around 15 points per game in the middle of the season. Um, He's shooting about 40% from three right now, which is huge, because that's pretty much all he takes in this Houston Rockets offense. And while Russell Westbrook does really impress me, again, I've watched Russell Westbrook since I've been a basketball fan. I know what he's capable of. I understand that he's next to James Harden. He's still an NBA superstar. It's shocking to see how many people disrespect him. What I do, what has impressed me, though, is his efficiency. Uh, He is shooting 47% from the field, which I believe would be a career high for him. Uh, That's excellent. That's got to go with Ben Macklemore because his team is out of the NBA. No one is willing to give him a chance. And the Rockets said, hey, come play for us. And he started to follow up. Fair. All right, now we are going to get to the Indiana Pacers, so let's get to that. All right, the Indiana Pacers, a lot of guys I could consider. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to one guy, but a shout-out to the Holiday Brothers. They were decent. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon continued to ball out with his new team, like I expected. I love Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, 
A very high honorable mention to TJ Warren, 18.7 points per game. Uh, he was on the Phoenix Suns. No one was really talking about him. He averaged these numbers last season. He wasn't as efficient with the Phoenix Suns, but he averaged the same scoring totals. I always liked TJ Warren. He was even better here in Indiana. But it has to be DeMontis Sabonis. He is playing alongside Miles Turner, who he doesn't really coexist very well with, but he still put up an all-star season pretty much out of left field. I've always loved DeMontis Sabonis, but I was never like, he's going to be an all-star in 2020. Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined DeMontis Sabonis would be an all-star. He averaged 18.5 points per game. That's not even the craziest part. 12.4 rebounds from DeMontis Sabonis. That is incredible. I mean, he really, DeMontis Bonus had a great year. He deserved his all-star appearance. I don't know what you have to say, but DeMontis Bonus is my pick, hands down. Yeah, I mean, I got to go with you on this one. DeMontis Bonus has been absolutely phenomenal this season. You know, I still got love for him and Victor Oladipo. You know, obviously they were former Thunder players, and we traded him for Paul George, and they both turned out to be all-stars. And Paul George is now not on that team. And we're now rebuilding. But it's fine. I'm not mad about it. The modest bonus. Uh, what else can you say? I mean, the guy was just an absolute killer this season. Mm-hmm. One of the best passing big men in the NBA. I mean, the only ones, in my opinion, who are for sure better are Nikola Jokic and maybe Bam and Abaya. The modest bonus is really up there. 18.5 points. 5 assists. 12.4 rebounds. He is going to meet be one of the premier centers of the NBA uh, sooner or later. And if he can improve that jump shot in his defense a little bit, he's going to be a stud. The kid's going to be a star. All righty, now we're going to move it over to L.A. The next two teams we have, debatably the two best teams in the NBA, we're going to start with the Clippers, then we're going to go to the Lakers. When it comes to the Clippers, I'm sure there's somebody at the bottom that you're going to give some sort of honorable mention. For me... I'm going to do two guys here. Lou Williams and a guy that I really like, Montrez Harrell. Lou Williams, at the age that he is at, he continues to ball. I mean, two seasons ago, he won sixth man of the year. Last year, he won sixth man of the year. And people said, well, people said in 2018, well, next season he's going to decline. Next season, he continues to put up these great numbers. The next season, well, he's going to decline. Like, don't get me wrong. I think in uh, the 2018-2019 season and the 2017-2018 season, he was a little better. Like, then he was putting up 22 points per game, you know, around 20 or up. This season, he only put up 18.7. But I think that could also be a credit to this. uh, he's taking less shots. Like, the Clippers are a better team. They now have Kawhi and Paul George. Before, Lou Will was their number one scoring option. I mean, him or Danilo Gallinari, take your pick. But now they do have more scoring options. So really, in my opinion... Lou Will isn't declining. It's just now they have more scoring options. And people thought at this age, he would not be able to continue doing this. Lou Will is still one of the most, one of the best bucket getters still in the league at his age today. And it's just incredible. And then Montrez Harrell. Uh, First of all, he showed up for me on defense. People said, this team doesn't have a rim protector. I said, Montrez Harrell, this dude has a Longer wingspan than Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he's a great defender. Because we had these debates. I remember we debated once, and you were just like, 
They, yeah, I mean, but they don't have a rim protector. We are doing a Lakers versus Clippers debate, and I said, Montrez Harrell can do it. And you said, yeah, he's a good defender, but he's not big enough. And I said, yeah, he's only six foot seven, but his wingspan is an, it's seven foot, it's whatever. It's an inch or two longer than Giannis Antetokounmpo's. He can handle it, and he did. He did a great job protecting the rim, not to mention he still put up 18.6 points per game. The offensive production was there. The production on the glass was there. And his rim protection was huge for this team because no one else could do it. I don't know. Who did you pick? Uh, So this is probably one of the hardest ones for me. Yep. Uh, But I'm going to go with one of the guys you mentioned. Montrez Harrell. Yep. The thing really impresses me about Harrell is, like you said, defensively, how good he has become on that side of the ball. But just, he's being able to ball while being basically the fourth option. Am I right? Like Kawhi Leonard, yep. you know. Kawhi Leonard, one, PG, and then Lou Will. So Montrez Harrell is still the fourth option, and he's averaging over 18 points per game. Yeah, 18.6 points per game. Yep. Seven rebounds, 58% from the field. And he's doing this all without any kind of jump shot. Any kind of jump shot whatsoever. And he's playing excellent defense. Um, there wasn't really a lot of guys really anywhere. Uh, Kawhi has been really good this season. But, you know, not like that good where I was like, oh, yeah, he, he's, you know, definitely uh, the guy that's impressed me the most. Paul George has really had a down season. He hasn't really impressed me that much. And then Lou Williams. I think I'm kind of just used to how good he has been, and that's why I can't say he's impressed me as much. Yeah. But Montrez here, I always thought he was good, but... I've always loved I, him. I, I've always loved him. I can legitimately say that I think he will be an all-star one day. Yes, agreed. Agreed. I've said that since last season. I agree a thousand percent. Now we go to the Los Angeles Lakers. They're a bit of a more interesting dynamic. We have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two players who play phenomenal... But we expected that. When I look at the rest of their roster, it isn't really that great. Most of their scoring production comes from these two. Uh, I could give a shout-out to, like, Avery Bradley was all right, but I'm going to go with Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard played in every single game this season, uh, except for one. He didn't play in one game. But for the fact that, first of all, Dwight Howard, at his age, he suffered injuries before. That was a little scary. And second of all, when the Lakers signed Dwight Howard, a lot of us were just like, Yeah, before he's complained about his role on the team and then, you know, and so forth. And he's never been able to accept that kind of bench role. But he did so this season. He made it to the January 5th date, I believe it was, or January 8th, where they said, if you get to that point and you're still on the roster, we're impressed and we'll pay you then. And Dwight Howard was willing to take that kind of risk. He was willing to kind of step out of his shell a little bit and realize, I am not the same player I was in Orlando back in 2010. And this season, yeah, 7.5 points per game isn't that great. He put up 7.4 rebounds, which is decent. Dwight Howard didn't play a phenomenal season or anything like that, but he didn't play poorly either. And the fact that he is still on the roster and he's playing a little better than I thought he would deserves props. And considering there's no one that really blew me out of the water on this team, I am going to give it to Dwight Howard. Alright, so I have one honorable mention, and honestly going to go to Anthony Davis, because I've been very critical of Anthony Davis. Um, I wasn't sure how he'd be able to form on a contender if he put up the same monster stats. Mm. Uh, yet, 
long. He's been absolutely crazy. Shout out to him. But all means aside, I'm going to go to Alex Caruso. Um, you know, a lot of people just look at him like, oh, he's just, he's just a mean. He's not a very good player. This dude's pretty good. Like, as an actual basketball player, he's pretty good. He's had a couple of highlight dunks. Defensively, he's pretty good. Off the bench, he provides a nice, energetic spark. Uh, he can shoot decently well. He attacks the rack well. He's efficient at times. Um, but he's just a really good bench spark. Like in a game versus Sacramento, he only got 16 minutes. He was 5-6 in the field, 3-4 of four from 3, and at 13 points. Like Those are just the sparks sometimes that the Lakers need. Like, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to do their thing. But then after that, you know, sometimes it can be like a little bit slow, a little bit boring. And then Alex Crusoe gets in there. He pumps the energy up. He pumps the crowd out. Crowd up. He's a fan favorite. Everyone loves Alex Crusoe. So I think that, I know that doesn't really count in terms of his actual encore production, but I think that Alex Caruso definitely shouldn't be really treated as a meme anymore. Yeah. I think he's actually been a pretty good basketball player. I, get what you, I hear what you're saying. But personally, for me, the reason I never really thought about the fact that he pumped up the crowd. Like, I get, I I should have put that into consideration, but I always just thought on-court production. Personally, for me, when it comes to Alex Caruso, ever since last year, and I actually watched him, I was just like, this kid isn't that bad. I haven't really seen that much improvement on the court. A little bit, sure, but not enough for me to really give him the award of the most players most impressed with because I realized he's not really that much of a meme last season. So then coming into this season, he really didn't improve as much. I see what you're saying. He was definitely an honorable mention of mine, but I couldn't give him the award. Uh, Memphis Grizzlies now. Uh, whew, this is one I've... Let me see. Oh, I have... This is a tough one for me because there's two guys that I really just love. I actually, there's a ton of players on the Grizzlies that I love. Like, I love John Morant. He was great. Jaron Jackson. It comes down to two people for me. Two people that I also love on the Grizzlies. One is Dylan Brooks. 15.7 points per game. I've loved Dylan Brooks since 2018. I, I don't know what it is. He's just, he's super underrated. Third on the team in points. He's efficient, too. Uh, he shot, I I believe, uh, if you have the three points percentage shorts, I was looking at it today. It was, it, yeah, I want to say it was, uh, I might be wrong. It's somewhere between 38% and 40%, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's not, he's, he's not there. But also my second, uh, Honorable, I guess my second choice would have to be Brandon Clark. You, if you know me, I have loved Brandon Clark ever since he transferred to Gonzaga and I watched him play there. I thought I wanted the Celtics to pick him in the NBA draft so bad. I thought Brandon Clark would be a top 10 player in the, uh, that's a little bit of a push, but like a top 12 player from his draft class. And he's produced Summer League. He won Summer League MVP for the Grizzlies, who won. Uh, he played in 50 games, only started three, got less than 22 minutes a game, still put up 12 points, nearly six boards, uh, played good defense as as usual, as I expect from him, 0.8 blocks, 0.5 steals. And this was all on, you know, a little over 20 minutes a night as a rookie. It's only going to go up for Brandon Clark. I like what Memphis is doing because there's a lot of people, a lot of these young players on their team who made big strides. Yeah, I agree. Um 
Uh, Brandon Clark, you know, I, I, I personally think he's been really good this season. The Thunder had a chance to draft him. They did draft him, and then they traded for Darius, basically. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but I, I just got to go with – I'm going with Ja Morant. Uh, I mean, the dude in, – in the NBA, point guards, rookie point guards, typically struggle. And maybe they aren't as efficient. But this dude has come in. He is – one, he's been excellent. Two, he's been really, really efficient. Mm-hmm. And he's probably been decent on the defensive side of the ball. He's been a great playmaker. Um, like, he's just been everything. Like, um, last year, Trey Young was obviously very good. He was terrible defensively. And he wasn't very very efficient. John Morant has been very efficient. shooting yep. almost 50% from the field as a rookie point guard in the Western Conference going up against a bunch of other elite point And guards. scoring seven over 17 points per game. Exactly. 37% from the field, also averaging around seven assists per game on a, a team that's good, but not great. I, I just, it couldn't be anyone else for me. I've been super impressed with him this year. The Miami Heat, this is a team that you've loved. I've loved them because they just have so many, so much young talent that has done great this year. There are a few picks I have. Uh, I, I'd give a shout out to Andre Iguodala. Uh, he hasn't really impressed me. He only played 14 games. I would. He's. He, I definitely didn't consider him for this. I just figured I'd give him like a nice little shout out. Uh, but really, for me, it comes out to Bam Adebayo. He was phenomenal this season. Made an All Star appearance. Played in every single game and balled out. And you know, he averaged double double. 16 points. Uh, round up. Uh, 10.5 rebounds. 11 rebounds. Uh, rounded up. He played phenomenal defense. And then I also look at Kendrick Nunn, undrafted rookie. I watched him in the summer league and I loved him. Uh, I didn't, but I didn't expect him to even really even see the court this year, and he did, and he was awesome. And third, Duncan Robinson, only thirteen point three points per game, but that is still great for him. He was a D three college player. Now he's coming up scoring thirteen point three points per game as a young player in the league. He has been one of the best shooters this year too. He's been great. Uh, and even you could throw in Tyler Hero into the mix. Uh, I had the bar set pretty high for him. I really liked him, but still, I mean, he was very impressive as well. There was a lot of guys on the Miami Heat. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's just a lot of guys on the Miami Heat that I was like, wow, they've been really good this season. Ultimately, it comes down to two guys for me, Bam Adebayo and Duncan Robinson. And while I love Duncan Robinson, he's probably one of my favorite players in the NBA, to be honest. And, uh He's just, he's just been really, really good this season. Um, but i got to go with Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo has come out of nowhere. I mean, people thought he was a good player. He was raw. No one expected that. I mean, 16 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists. He's shooting 57% from the field. He's an incredible defender. And he's an NBA all-star. Like, I, he's, just, he's been very, very good this season. Duncan Robinson... You know, he's been, he's been great, too. Really one of my favorite players in the NBA. If I, you know, I'm not a very athletic guy. I'm not going to really go anywhere far with basketball. Uh, but if I had to pick one guy to be like, it would probably just be Duncan Robinson. Going from D3 to D1, it just seems like he's got a skill set to be very, very valuable at almost any level in basketball. So I've I got to give a quick shout out to him. Now we move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. 
a lot of people, like, Giannis, for me, the reason I'm not going to pick Giannis Antetokounmpo is I expected this. He was phenomenal, but he reached what I expected. He just reached expectations. I thought he was going to win back-to-back MVP. If the season ended today, I think Giannis wins MVP, unless the media really screws him over uh, and picks LeBron, because that could always happen. Uh, but my pick, it's tough. I There's no one that really stands out. I'm going to go with Dante DiVincenzo. He was their 17th overall pick, not last draft, but the one before that. And he really didn't do that much in his rookie season. This season, he's come up quietly averaging 9.4 points per game, quietly averaging just under five rebounds, which is great for a young shooting guard like him. And he started 22 games. I think people just kind of wrote him off after his first season, you know, um, and just said, you know what, he didn't produce in his first year at Villanova. Uh, he was, you know, just one of those guys who does phenomenal. Mar- they must have just for, uh, kind of forgotten about him, just said, you know what, he's one of those guys who just balls up in March Madness and then never does anything in the NBA. This season, he stepped up. He, did he, like, shock me by any means? No, but he impressed me. Sure. That's a fair statement. Um. I mean, I, I got to go with Giannis. I can't, I just, I, I can't go with anyone other than Giannis. I mean, he's just been absolutely ridiculous this season. Um, I, I don't really think I'd be much more of an explanation than that. I, I see what you're saying, but who was your MVP pick before this season started? Um, it was, it was um, what's the Nicole Jokic. Nicole Jokic. So, I guess for us, like, personally, I'm sure you expected Giannis to do this, but, like, I think I set the bar just a little higher. So, for me, even though Giannis has been, obviously, by far the best player on this team, like, they are, like, it's not even close, but he hasn't really necessarily impressed me because this is what I expected. I expected these numbers. I expected him to be in front of the MVP race. So, for me, I, I think Dante, you know, Giannis hasn't really impressed me. I mean, he's been great, but he hasn't really impressed me like that. Like, he's hit expectations. Dante DiVincenzo, he's, you know, been a little over expectations. I know I'm kind of stretching it a little bit, but I I see where you're coming from. I can't really disagree with you there, but it's a little bit of a long shot going with DiVincenzo, but I'm going to go with him. Uh, We're moving on to the Minnesota Timberwolves. All right. Uh... Look, ooh, perfect pick. I, hmm. I was going to say, I'm going to go with Malik Beasley. He averaged over 20 points per game with them, but he didn't impress me. Because I know Malik Beasley was, I'm just going to go with Malik Beasley at this point. Um, they, No one really impressed me on this team, but I knew Malik Beasley was worthy of that. 33 minutes, you give him 33 minutes, he'll give you 20 points tonight. I, I truly do believe that. Uh, Malik Beasley didn't exactly, like, shock me, but he, he made strides. Um, I'm, in the, I'm in the same boat as you, although he's not my pick. I've always thought Malik Beasley had really, really good talent, and he was just never used properly, so I can't really say that it's surprised me that he has been successful with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I am going to go with Jordan McLaughlin. You guys probably don't even know who that is. And yeah, 
He's averaging 7.6 points, 4.2 assists, 1.6 rebounds in less than 20 minutes a night. He's shooting 49% from the field and 38% from three. He's never going to really be anything great in the NBA. But with the right opportunity, you know, he's had some really, really solid games. Um, with D'Lo out, he... With D'Lo out with the injury, um, he put up 13-6, and six with uh, shooting 6-7 of seven from the field. Um, the next game, he put up 10-7, and 5-10 from the field. The game after that, 14-9, 6-10 from the field, 2-4 from 3. Like He's never going to be a star player, but he's still a really, really solid backup. Um, and, you know, a game against the Los Angeles Clippers, where they blew them out in one, one of the biggest reasons they won, Jordan McLaughlin, 24-11, 11-15 from the field, and 2-4 from three. He's just a really good basketball player. Mm-hmm. He's really smart. He's got a he's got a big basketball IQ, uh, and I just really, really like him as a player. New Orleans Pelicans, I've got to go with Brandon Ingram here. All-star appearance, over 24 points per game. It shows some of these players, just if you give them the right opportunity, they are going to ball out. In L.A., you know, he was all right, but he didn't fit the system. They already had a ton of scoring wings. Now he comes to New Orleans, he led the team in points per game. Now, yeah, I'd argue if Zion had a little longer than 19 games to kind of get in the swing of things, he maybe ends up outpacing Brandon Ingram in points per game. But still, Brandon Ingram was incredible this season. He's got to be my pick. Yeah, Brandon Ingram. I mean, he's one of the most improved player candidates. Yep. And considering that I didn't really like him, I got to give him the respect of, like, you know what? He had a really, really good season. And that's the truth because he was just really, really darn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minis- uh, I miss the Minnesota Timberwolves. New York Knicks. Uh, uh, it's like, is there anybody on the Knicks that. Uh, I guess I'd say Marcus Morris when he was on the Knicks. Marcus Morris, when he went to the Clippers, didn't impress me. But Marcus Morris's time in New York, 19.6 per game, uh, isn't that bad. But he got to shoot a lot of shots. He led the team. He was second on the team in points per game. He didn't really impress me that much in New York just because he took a decent amount of shots. But I guess I'll give it to him. Honestly, I don't want to talk about the Knicks that much. Uh, they just, they're they're terrible, and no one really stood out that much to me, to be honest. Uh, maybe there's somebody, I just don't feel like talking about the New York Knicks. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Shot 34% of the field, 30% from three, and 50% from the foul line. I feel like he's Smith, no. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Like, Julius Randle was good with the Pelicans, and then he came to New York, and they treated him like a drive-and-kick James Harden, and now he's not so good. R.J. Barrett was disappointed, had a disappointing rookie season. He's not really on here. Uh, I guess I'm going to go with Alfred Payton. Um, I was looking at him, too, but, yeah. He's been put up 10-7-5. He's been a decent starting point guard. I mean, obviously, he shot 20% from three and 57% from the foul line. But with the Knicks, you only have Slim Pickens. So, yeah, that's my pick. Uh, on the OKC Thunder, this is your team. Uh, I'm sure you have a pick. But but for me, like, I could honestly, if I had to pick one guy, I'd probably say Shy Gildas Alexander. Uh, but I also could give it to Danilo Gallinari, Dennis Schroeder, or Chris Paul. Honestly, any one of those four guys. If I had a pick, I'd give it to Shy Gildas Alexander. Listen, if you 
keep saying shy. I'm going to come over to your house and infect you with corona. All who, right. Who would you? Yeah. I'm going to go with Shay, too. Uh, currently wearing his jersey right now. Dude's just an absolute baller. Chris Paul definitely deserves some mentioning, too, just because of what he's able to do at his age. Uh, but just, you know, everyone was like, oh, um, we're just going to sleep on Shea Gilgis Alexander. But I was like, nope. That kid's going to be a star. Just you wait. And sooner or later, he is a star, and he's going to be a star for years to come. But really, you know, the Thunder have had a much better season than even myself thought they were going to Yeah. Have. Oh, definitely. Uh, somebody asked me before the season, are the Thunder making the playoffs? So it was just like, the odds are very slim. But they, they, they played very well, and they made it. Uh, Orlando Magic, I'm going to go with Markel Fultz here. Uh, they took a gamble, not... I feel like I keep saying this, but not last trade deadline, but the one before that. They took a gamble, not a huge one, but they, you know, sent the first round pick to Philly and said, let's bring this guy in. Let's give him time to, you know, rehab and get back in the swing of things. And because there's still potential here. And this season, he played 64 games. Like he was healthy throughout the season, played every single game. And he started 59 of them. He only sat five games. Like Markel Fultz was reliable this season. And he averaged 12.1 points per game on 28.3 minutes. Uh, was he stunning? No. But people did not expect Markel Fultz to come back this quickly. Not only that, but come back, play 64, uh, all of the games, and start almost all of them, and play nearly 30 minutes a night. Like, that is incredible. Just the strides he took so quickly is impressive. And Markel Fultz has a future in this career. Uh, has a has a future in this league. His his career has a future. You get what I'm saying. Take yeah, it away. I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I, I respect Markel Fultz. Uh, and, you know, respect to this Magic team because they don't have the best roster, but they still man- they've still managed to be a playoff team two seasons in a row. You know, Vucevic, uh, you know, I thought he had a fluke last season. He's proving this year that it really wasn't a fluke. Uh, you know, Terrence Ross, he's been a nice spark off the bench. I'm going to go with Jonathan Isaac because Isaac is, was an interesting I forgot. Yeah, I, I forgot about him. He, yes. I, I, yes. He, he's just an absolute beast. Uh, his defense is obviously insane. He's an early defensive player of the year candidate, and he was just locking players up. I mean, he can guard any position. I mean, point guard to center. I mean, he's got the length and the speed to cover guards and he's got the height he's like 6'10 6'11 to cover those centers and he's got a long wingspan uh so he's able to do that and then offensively he's starting to pick it up 12 points per game uh seven rebounds shot 46 percent from the field 33 percent from three uh you know i'm not eye-popping offensive stats mm-hmm. uh but considering the third year player he's taking these strides uh if it weren't for an injury we could have seen this guy make first team all defense or maybe even win defensive player of the year you never know all right philadelphia 76ers this is a pick that we both discussed before the podcast started we are both on the same page gotta be shake milton Uh, he only played 32 games he started 16 of them 9.5 points per game like his stats don't pop off pop out like by any means but he played very well nobody in the starting um Everybody in their starting five either disappointed a little bit 
or disappointed a lot, you know, somewhere between them there. And their bench was better than I expected, but Shake Milton, I'd probably give him an A+. Like, he played very well this season. And I, I just, I don't think many people can argue with that pick. Yeah, I'm going to go with Shake Milton, too. You know, a lot of, like, the common fans are going to be like, oh, well, what about Ben Simmons? And yeah. Ross Harris? Oh, I mean, uh. you got to remember this. People thought that they were going to be really good. And I'm not saying they weren't really good. But let's just look at their starting line. Ben Simmons. He had a great season. But people thought he was going to start shooting threes. People thought, you know... That maybe he was starting to take a huge step forward, and he hasn't really done that. You know, Josh Richardson, I thought that he could be a potentially big closer and one of the best, like, pure scorers on this team, if not the best pure scorer. Um, not really. His defense has been exactly what I thought it would be. But offensively, 14 a game, 42% for the field, 33% for three. Not very good. Um, Tobias Harris, yeah, he can shoot the lights out. Yep. But... Other than that, like, he hasn't really impressed me. Like, he's exactly what I thought he would be. Al Horford has been tradey, tradey trash. And then Joel Embiid, he's only played 44 games this season. And he was good, but he declined from last season. So, I gotta go with a guy like Shake Milton, who I didn't even know who was at the um, at the beginning of the season. And now, he's a great bench player, shooting 45% from three, 50% from the field. He's just been really, really good. And he's, you know, someone, he's an underdog. He's clearly a hard worker who, you know, has worked hard to get here and to get these minutes uh, with uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. Um, do you remember that big game he had? Yes, I know what you're talking about. 39 points, 14 mm-hmm. of 20 shooting, 7 of 9 from 3. Like, that's crazy. Um, and before that, like, you know, two games before that, 20 points, 8 of 14 from the field, 4 of 6. He hit... 16 three-pointers in three games. I'm telling you, but this, with more opportunity, this kid can be a pretty good basketball player. All right, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, there's Aaron Baines. Like He was great at the beginning of the season. I'll shout him out. But my pick, I'm going to go with Kelly Oubre here. I mean, he hasn't really shown like huge strides by any means uh, from like when he was in Washington. But Suns gave him a decent contract over the offseason, and he's played well. Like, averaging nearly 35 minutes per game, played in most of the games this season, averaging nearly 19 points per game. Like, he can produce offensively. He can produce with scoring. And I don't, personally, when it comes to Phoenix, I just think they have enough scoring. They've got Devin Booker. They've got DeAndre Ayton now. They've now Kelly Oubre. Like, they have scores for now. I think with uh, Phoenix Suns, they just need a more disciplined team they need a better defensive team, and their team just needs to be a, a better, co- more cohesive unit, if that makes any sense. But Kelly Oubre is my pick. Um, this one is actually really, really difficult. Yeah, Kelly it Oubre is. An excellent choice, and I may end up going with him. Um, yeah, I, I think I am going to go with him because I don't know what the Washington Wizards were thinking trading him, but yeah. he's just – Really, really improved. Uh, like, every ap- aspect of his game has just gone up. His defense has gotten a little bit better. Like, his scoring has been ridiculous. 19 points per game. Like, I thought it was like 16, 15. Nah, it's really, really high. Six rebounds. He's become more efficient. Like, he's just become really, really good. And 
I don't think a lot of people expected this. Maybe that's why the Wizards traded him for basically trash. But, uh-huh. Yeah. All right, Portland Trailblazers. I am going with Dwight Howard before the season started. This player, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about now, but this player was in the same boat as Dwight Howard was. I am going with Carmelo Anthony. I never expected this. I thought if he even gets lucky enough to get signed to an NBA roster, you know, odds are he might flop again. And if he doesn't, he's going to get like 12 minutes, you know, 15 minutes, 18, somewhere around there. He went on to start every game he played. We thought if he even got lucky enough to be signed, you know, he'd get somewhere, as I said, in the teens for minutes, and he would start maybe here and there. He played 50 games, started them all, averaged 32.5 minutes at, what, 35, 36 years old, and averaged 15.3 points per game. Sure, he wasn't the most efficient, but the fact that he's doing this at his age and where we were standing here seven months ago, nobody would have ever expected this. Uh, He surpassed my wildest dreams. I and Carmelo Anthony definitely is definitely has been right this season, and you know, just complete shout out to him. He's been balling out. I'm gonna go with Hassan Whiteside because before this season, when Hassan Whiteside was on the Miami Heat, and you know, there's just there was so much problems. He has really turned his career around, and he is a high impact player. I think you know what I think is helping him. I think Damian Lillard is starting to rub off on him. You really, I really think? think he, like, like, yeah, I get what you're saying. I agree. He's averaging 16 points per game, 14 rebounds, shooting 62% from the field. Uh, he's been better defensively. Uh, he's not just like one of those shot-blocking machines, just goes for the block every single time and isn't no. a very good defender. He still gets his fair share of blocks, averaging 3.1 a game. Uh, but he's, just, he's been one of the better defenders at center. He's been very, very efficient. Uh, and he says putting up good numbers, so I, I, I have to give him credit. All right. Uh, next, we've got the Sacramento Kings. Here, there are I'm – I'm not even giving this to some of their best players. Two people who some people may have even forgot are on their team. One, I number one, number uno, center Rashawn Holmes. Only played in 39 games. He started most of them, averaged nearly 29 minutes a game, averaged nearly 13 points as well, and over eight rebounds. He played well. This team doesn't really have a set center, and Rashawn Holmes stepped up and showed, I can be the center you are looking for. He played really well. Like, uh, you know, maybe I'm overrating him a little bit, but he played great this season. And second, I'm going with Kent Bazemore. He started the season out in Portland, was, yeah, he was decent, like what's expected. I mean, he went from... Atlanta, where he was playing pretty well. He went to, and then they traded, they made the Evan Turner trade. He goes to Portland, not really doing that well. He came to Sacramento. Like his stats don't pop off the page. He played every game off the bench, only played 21 games because he was traded at the trade deadline. And he played 20, you know, under 24 minutes a game, 10 points. That's decent offensive production. But not only that, his veteran leadership, his positive attitude, his positive energy rubbed off on the team, and it led to a few wins. I think, honestly, I can say that Kent Bazemore's just energy enlightened the team a little bit, and it led to a few victories. I I can say that with confidence. I do believe that in between Rashawn Holmes and Kent Bazemore, both of them had great seasons for the Sacramento Kings. 
I know, I know exactly where you're getting that, um, the Kent Bazemore idea from, but I'm just going to go with just where John Holmes. Uh, while Kent Bazemore has certainly been good with the Kings, overall, when he was with, was he with Portland, you said? Yep. When he was with Portland, he's absolutely horrible. So we're not yeah. just going to discredit that like it didn't happen. That's but true, Holmes, but with Sacramento, he was very good. That's true. But John Holmes has just been consistently good all season. The only thing, the only complaint anyone really has for him is his durability. He's a great, he's a decent um, on-the-block scorer. He's a good rebounder. He's efficient. Uh, he can play defense really, really well. Uh, he shoots 80% of the foul line, which is really, really good for a big man like him. Um, I, I just, I got to give him a lot of credit because I think he's been pretty good. Another guy that I think has been good, Harrison Barnes. I'll give him a little shout-out because he's in a pretty efficient score for them. And, you know, he's played almost every single game. So, yeah. All right, so, uh, San Antonio Spurs, there's a few guys I want to talk about. First of all, I've got shooting guard Bryn Forbes. I've always liked Forbes as like a decent young scorer. He played 63 games, started 62 of them, averaged 25 minutes a night, 11 points per game. He's a decent scorer. Outside of that, outside of his scoring ability, he does need to improve, but still. Second, DeJounte Murray. We all know about his injury that he had. He's been able to bounce back really well, uh, played in nearly every game of the season. Average nearly 25 minutes a night. Uh, he's a, he's always been a great defender. He always will be, but his offensive production improved a little bit, I can say. Uh, and I'd also look at um, Lonnie Walker. I know you love Lonnie Walker, but before this, Lonnie's never really been able to. We've always seen his potential, but he's never really shown it. This season, I feel like he made a, a few strides, I guess you could say. Uh, 53 games. So he, he was playing every night. Not a lot of significant uh, numbers, but not, not significant minutes, not numbers. But in those 53 games, he started for 14.5 minutes per game, 5.6 points. Not that bad. He was giving you some production. And last but not least, Keldon Johnson. I love Keldon Johnson. He's a scrappy player. He's a hard worker. He's very humble. He keeps his mouth shut. But nine in only nine games, he only played 10 minutes uh, per game but he's averaged 4.6 points and his defensive numbers were decent 0.6 steals uh, and a 0.1 block. I know that's not like anything significant. Those stats don't pop out at all, but for the fact that he put those numbers up, only got nine games to play, only got about 10 minutes per game. I thought his production was impressive in those games. Um, I really have two for this pick. One is LaMarcus Aldridge. Because Lamarcus Aldridge, every year, like I say, you know what, this dude, it's going to be the year. Lamarcus Aldridge declines, and every year, I'm wrong, and he's mm-hmm. a tremendous player. Somehow, he has been able to get better yeah. at something. True. Um, like, obviously, scoring was a little bit down from last season due to him, you know, uh, not having as big of a scoring role. He put up 21.3 points per game last year. But this season, 18.9 points per game. He's shooting four. He's shooting almost fifty percent from three. I'm fifty percent from the field and thirty nine percent from three. He has never been able to shoot threes. He's never taken more than one point five three point attempts a game. And the year he did, he shot thirty five percent. Now he's taking three a game, and he has shot thirty nine percent from three. So he definitely deserves um, some credit because everyone just seems to think. Or maybe not everyone, maybe it's just me. But I certainly thought that he'd start to decline soon. He hasn't. And then again, Lonnie Walker. What can I say? He's my boy. I love Lonnie Walker. When he plays, 
He is a beast. Greg Popovich, you're the best coach probably in the NBA history. But if you do not recognize the talent that this young man possesses, it's one game. He got 35 minutes. 35 minutes. That's the most he got all season. Guess how many points he had? I'd guess 19. Nope. 28. Oh, 10 for 18. No, that's just 26. 10, 10 for 18 from the field. 4 of 7 from 3. And then, uh, and then a couple games later, against Phoenix, 21 minutes, 16 points, 5 of 8 from the field, 5 of 8 from the field. And whenever he gets significantly good minutes, he seems to just play really well, unless um, Popovich doesn't use him well. Against Boston, 18 points in 19 minutes. The kid's a stud. Mm-hmm. The kid's an absolute stud. I love him. He's going to be a great player. Toronto Raptors, another team that I have quite a few picks for. One is Kyle Lowry. He didn't take huge strides in his game, but I'd say he had an impressive season. Uh, and he got hurt, bounced back from his injury well. Uh, second, Norman Powell, uh, one of the most underrated shooting guards in the league. Uh, 28.8 minutes a game. Only played in 44 games, started about half of those games, 16.4 points per game. I feel like no one recognizes. People say, yeah, he's taken strides this year. He's taken big strides. Like his offensive production was incredible. Uh, another guy, Terrence Davis. I've been saying this since the offseason. Terrence Davis, I, I said this in the offseason, actually. I made an article which was Six players every NBA team would keep if there's an expansion draft. One of those players I had the uh, Toronto Raptors keeping was Terrence Davis because I seriously see the potential that he possesses. Another guy uh, that I would also like to throw out, I actually could go with two more. One is Chris Boucher, G League MVP last season and finals MVP uh, finals MVP in the G League. Uh, played 55 games, started none of them, only got about 13 minutes a night, but he produced with 16.3 points. Uh, over four rebounds a night, and he's a good defender. Uh, One block a night, and I can just tell you from watching him in the G League, this guy has a lot of potential, especially on the defensive end of the court. And then I'll throw it out there too, Matt Thomas. Uh, I remember there was a stat last season before he was on the Raptors when he was in the G League, or Rook, I don't even know. I don't even know where he was playing before the season, but he shot 99% on uncontested three-pointers. He is an incredible three-point shooter. He only played in 33 games, got less than 10 minutes a night, but he still averaged 4.5 points per game. Like His offensive production is great as well. Uh, a lot of people are going to point to Pascal Siakam when they're talking about like you know most impressive. Yeah. But to be honest, I expected this from Pascal Siakam. Same. I expected him to Same. I'm throwing that out there. Somewhat filled the shoes of Kawhi Leonard. Uh, but I'm going to go with Norman Powell here. Because yep. Norman Powell is a great player. But I've always thought he was one of those guys who just got the big contract because he had a couple of good playoff games. Now, he's putting up really good numbers and proving that he's worth that contract. 16.4 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, 50% from the field. 30, almost 40% from three. And then 84% from the foul line. 50, 40, 84. Like, that's, that's ridiculous efficiency um, for someone like Powell, who's averaging 16 points per game. It was him. To me, it was no doubt. I like some of the strides that, you know, Van Lee uh, and Chris Boucher have taken. But to me, Norman Powell was the one that really 
was a little bit more unexpected, I guess, in my opinion. All right, Utah Jazz. For this one, I, you know, I could throw out, like, Moody A was pretty good this season. I don't really know who I'm going to pick here. No one, like, popped off the page for me. But I guess I'll go with Jordan Clarkson. Uh, he came back, you know, in Utah, uh, played 34 games, didn't even start any of them. But I remember the Utah Jazz, before they traded for him, were, I think, 0-6 or something like that. Maybe this is just my imagination. But And then once they traded for him, they went on a seven-game winning streak. Now, I know all season Utah was very inconsistent, but I remember Thomas. We actually watched Jordan Clarkson's first game. I remember we watched it both um, and it was against the Portland trailblazers and he played really well. Like he just gave that extra spark. He gave them some of that bench scoring that they were, I'd say lacking a little bit, 15.6 points per game. I mean, Jordan Clarkson's always been a good shooter and scorer off the bench, but he was able to come back to Utah and not only give them that scoring that they needed off the bench, but it seemed like he gave them a spark and it sparked one of their longest winning streaks of the season. I agree, I agree with you completely. And Jordan Clarkson hasn't started a single game this season. Nope. But some players are just better off the bench. Yep. Really can't say anything other than that. But I'm going to go with Bojan Bogdanovich. And I, I love Fair. Bojan. Here's my thing, though, with that. I considered him. He was great. Over 20 points per game. But I expected that. I've always loved Bojan. You saw what he did in the playoffs last year. I thought he would be a great fit in Utah. My thing is, I expected this from him. I, you're right. I did see what he did in the playoffs last year, and he was terrible. He was terrible, but only because he was a number one option. Yeah, exactly. But, but the thing is, I didn't. I did expect his stats to go down just because of the talent he was playing. I remember like, him score. I, I. Here's my thing about the playoffs. Like, maybe I'm wrong, but I remember him scoring a lot of points in the playoffs last year. Is that just me? Yes. It was just because he shot a lot of shots. Okay. I remember that. He did uh, shoot a lot. But I remember he had one or two games that he scored a lot of points. Maybe that's just me. Sometimes uh, my memory just fails me. Last, uh, oh, wait, one, um, last year, so you, uh, last year, um, we'll go to playoffs per game. He shot less than 40% from the field, less than 32% from three, and averaged about 18 points per game. Oh. Yeah. And the boss, and they what, got two Yeah, they got, I remember, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. So, I, I'm not saying, you know, he's a playoff choker, because he isn't. He's he was put in a tough playoff. spot. That's, that, that, he was put in a tough spot there. Right, exactly. Uh, but I thought his stats were going to go down just due to the amount of talent he was playing with. I mean, you got Donovan Mitchell, who's a ball-dominant scorer. Mike Conley, a ball-dominant point guard. Um, you've got Joe Winkles, who's going to get his touches here and there because he's a good playmaker, a good shooter, a good scorer. Even Rudy Gobert, he's going to get his touches down low. So I thought Bo John would you know, average like a respectable, yeah, efficient 15, 14 points mm-hmm. per game. But no, he's a legitimate second offensive option on this team. Mm-hmm. He's shooting around seven three-pointers a game and connecting on about 41% of them. He's been just really ridiculous and really efficient for this team. That's why I got I had to pick them. All right, for our last team, we finally made it to the end, the Washington Wizards. My, I've got a couple guys I want to sh- uh, shout out here. First of all, Davis Bertans, uh, incredible uh, shooter. We all knew that. Uh, under 30 minutes per game, averaged over 15 points per game. Uh, just... 
off a very good uh, scorer and shooter for this team, Rui Hachimura. Remember the crazy draft story he had with the Wizards. The Wizards never even called him, like never even scouted him, and then they just picked him out of the blue. Ended up being a pretty good pick. Played all forty in all forty-one games he played. He started. Uh, he played nearly thirty minutes a night, which is impressive for a rookie. Uh, averaged thirteen point four points per game, six rebounds. Uh, his defense was decent. I'd like to see it improve a little bit, but it was still decent. Jordan McRae. Uh, I know he's on. Uh, yeah. Were you, oh, I thought you were going to pitch in there. But he went from zero to hero uh, from when he was on the Clippers to now the Wizards. I think that was the order. It was vice versa. Anyway, whenever he was on the Washington Wizards, he played well. 22 minutes a game, nearly 13 points. Like, he he produced offensively. And then the last guy, where is he? Where'd he go? Uh I want to shout. All right, I and then the other three guys said shout out: Thomas Bryant, Ish Smith, Troy Brown. I I just there's a lot of like guys on the Wizards that I just wanted to shout out. Um, yeah, Jordan uh, Jordan McBucket uh, was actually was really good. He um he's been a pretty good bench player. Uh, this one is a lot more difficult. Yes. I expected Hashim. He's one of my favorite prospects coming in. Thomas Bryant really hasn't been good enough uh, for me to really pick him. True. He did put up 12 uh, and 10, though. I think he kind of flew under the radar. I wasn't going to pick Thomas Bryant either. I, there, Those were my three honorable mentions. For me, it comes down to Jordan McRae, Rui Hachimara, or Davis Bertans. Yeah. Uh, to me, I gotta, I, I just got to go Bertans. Just because we all knew he was a great shooter. But, but now he's putting up the scoring as well. Yeah, now he's bringing the scoring as a volume shooter, uh, and it's been it's been big for the Washington Wizards. It's just been another another element of this game. You know, Bradley Beal can't carry the load the whole yeah. time, so they've had a couple of other nice offensive options. Dave Spurton has been the that second guy. Uh, I really think that players should be, uh, not players, teams at the deadline should have been more willing to. Uh, give up assets for this guy just because of his ridiculous shooting ability. I'd love to see the Thunder go after him in the offseason um, just because of his ridiculous ability to shoot. Danilo Gallinari were to leave or something. I'd love for him to be the replacement. Um, but I think he's had a really, really good season. And, yeah. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you, Thomas. This, this took a lot longer than we expected. Uh, this isn't even for Thomas's podcast either. So thank you uh, for joining me. He's going to come up with a big episode uh, tomorrow. So go check that out at Mr. Uh, on his uh, podcast, Mr. Sideline. Sorry, this was really long. It talked forever, but Thank you, Thomas. I don't really know what else to say. Go call in on the Anchor mobile app. You can call in with any questions, anything you want to debate with me. Go right ahead. I'll take it. We don't really get as many callers anymore. Um, so anybody that wants to call. But uh, hopefully we can do this more because we, we, we always thought we had to be doing this in the same room. We can do this over phone if we want. So we're definitely going to probably do this more in the future. Uh, but thank you, Thomas, for joining me. If there's anything else you want to say. Yeah, I'm good. Just, um, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time.